God sanctifies us fully, that we're fully accepted, fully loved, fully righteous uh, in, in, in God because of Jesus Christ. And then in Jesus, we also saw the pathway that, that God also gives us everything to continue in this walk, in this growth towards sanctification, that day by day, from the day of our birth, from, the day, from this day to the day of our physical death, God's gonna be continuing to do his work until it's complete, and it will be complete. God always finishes what he starts. And then we saw that finally the, the, the finish, that when Jesus returns in glory, the dominion of death will be no more. There'll be no more darkness, no more sin, no more suffering. <clears throat> and we with all the saints will worship Jesus, will worship God in the kingdom of his son. And that's really what we, we saw as our hope in Jesus. And that's really kind of a general summary of the idea of sanctification. The sanctification is both the position of holiness, that we're holy before God, and as well as the process of holiness that, that we're becoming and realizing more and more of who we are in Jesus Christ, becoming holified, if you want to say, uh, more like Jesus. And so as we're going to continue in our study in the book of Colossians, this passage we're going to be looking at the supremacy of Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking at what this means and, and the implications of it to our lives. So I'd like you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And a reverence for the word of God. Let's, let's stand together. <clears throat> From verse 15 of the book of Colossians. He is the image, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. All right, again, we have these nice long sentences from Paul, and we're gonna kind of take it apart and have a, an idea of really what he's trying to say here. From this passage, we're gonna see that our sufficiency in Christ ultimately leads us to the supremacy of Christ. That Paul, what he's doing is he's elevating his teaching to something beyond just what Jesus does for me or what Jesus does for this church. And he really shows how we fit into God's plan, into God's plan for creation for all eternity. Paul wants to sort of broaden our perspective to this widest scope possible to say all creation for all eternity. He puts Jesus in the forefront of every aspect, not just of our lives, but of life in general. Every part of, created, of creation, all the cosmos, visible and invisible, was created in him, by him, and for him. And this is the idea of the supremacy of Jesus. Now, I want to be honest, as I was preparing this message, um, I had a message before Saturday that was really straightforward. Uh, because this is a very well-known passage, and it's pretty easy, not, I don't say it's pretty easy, it's pretty straightforward how to interpret this particular passage um, from a theological perspective. And that's kind of how I was proceeding with it through the week. I have my normal schedule. You know, I start even on Monday, Tuesday, and, and go on. But it was interesting that I, as I was going through it, 
And on Saturday I was praying and then I was like, I don't think God wants me to go through all this technical stuff. I said, I, I really think that the thing that's really hitting me is this supremacy of Christ. What does the supremacy of Christ really mean? And so I, I not chucked all the things away. I still believe that what God was doing even in my studies was helping you know, and, and encouraging me and building up and getting ready. But really, uh, a lot of the material that I had prepared was changed. Because it's interesting, when you look at the ESV translation, the English Standard Version, it doesn't even say supremacy. They changed the word. It says preeminence. So I was looking at it going, oh, supremacy of Christ, supremacy of Christ. And I was reading through it going, wait, where's the supremacy? There's no word here because ESV changed it. Um, but at any rate, uh, basically here, the, the goal or the idea is that the supremacy of Christ is throughout this particular passage. And uh, just so if you want to study it on your own, uh, this passage is actually divided into two parallel parts. The first section is verse 15 through 17. The second section is verse 18 through 23. And it's actually parallel if you read through it. The first one deals with uh, Jesus being uh, firstborn over all creation. And then the second part is Jesus being firstborn over uh, the church. And actually the way even in which the, uh, the grammar goes and everything, it's like parallel, moving down. So you get the same sense. This is Jesus. He is the head. He is supreme over all creation and over all the church, everything about you as a people. And so um, I looked at this again and said, what does this really mean, the supremacy of Christ? So first of all, we wanna look at where this, how this word comes up in this particular passage. So um, in the first verse, it says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, or firstborn over all creation. Now there's two words here that are very important. The first word, of course, is image, and the second word is firstborn. The word image here refers to coinage, right? And so coinage is like, you know, the head of the emperor, emperor is kind of stamped on the coin. So you look at the coin and say, well, that's the emperor's face, and that's the idea of image. But the coin, just because it looks like him, it's not just that, but it carries his authority. If it has the image of the, of the emperor on it, that means this money is good. It is real money, you know, because it has his face on it. He endorses it. It's, it's in a sense, it is his authority. And, uh, and Jesus, in the same way, not only, it's not like he looks like God, it's he represents God the Father in physical form. Uh, Paul, in other passages, he speaks of God who lives in inapproachable light, the invisible God, meaning that there's no possible way we could ever actually see God. Um, his glory, first of all, we wouldn't be able to comprehend it. Secondly, his glory would probably burn us to dust, you know, things like that, because he's so holy. But in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, um, but anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, has seen the Father. And he goes on to say, no one has ever seen God, but God the only Son, this is what John says, uh, but God the only Son has made him known, and known meaning like experience, meaning like we really see and know God. Because you know, when God, we think about God, he's so gracious in giving us Jesus, because in Jesus, even though we don't see him physically, he was a real person, and we read about him, and as we read about him, we understand who God is. We see him. He's the creator, the redeemer. We see what God is like. We really understand mercy. 
We understand uh, uh, patience. We understand what it means to, to redeem, to, to humble. Uh, we understand the things that, 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 that God, on, on God's heart, the things that make God cry, the things that make God rejoice, uh, 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 the things that even that make God uh, angry. We see those things in Jesus, and so that's the first thing, the idea of, of God, of Jesus being the, um, the image of God. The second thing is the idea of the firstborn of all creation, or firstborn over all creation. Now this is the first instance in this passage, or, or in the passage we're looking at, of this idea of supremacy. So you know, how many of us here are firstborn? How many people are firstborn? All right. See now, in our culture, we kinda know um, in our culture, there's a certain uh, idea attached to firstborn, right? It means like we're always right, you know, and we're the best, you know, good looking and things like that. But no, actually all it means is we were born first. <laughs> uh, that's all, it just happened by chance. We were born first and maybe we have that firstborn angst, you know, that's uh, stuff that firstborns always have um, and we always share that. Um, but how many of us were firstborn overall creation? Nobody. I mean, we know that that's something that's quite different. See, the thing is that some cults uh, today, when they look at this verse and they use this verse, they say, oh, Jesus firstborn, that means he was born. That means that there was a time when Jesus did not exist and then suddenly he's born and now he exists. Uh, but the Bible affirms that Jesus existed from the very beginning and he's eternal. And, and, and he is God. He has no beginning. He has no end. So, so, so obviously when Paul says Jesus is firstborn, he's not talking about like he was the first creation, first thing born. Um, the word firstborn is actually uh, the Greek word prototokos, and this is a compound word, the first word protos, which means foremost, which means a supreme, it means a first. And it, it, it has the idea of, of title and substance rather than just simple chronology. Uh, in the Greek, not just in the Bible, but it meant order of succession to be first, or uh, um, it meant the order of importance, or the order of honor, the first in honor. It meant power, the first most powerful, uh, the first in authority. It meant like ranking, like you know the, the general or the five-star general and the corporal and all the other ones, that the ranking, this was the highest of all ranks. Uh, it meant the source of something, to be firstborn. You were the source or the, the origin of something. In fact, scholars of antiquity and ancient literature have identified no less than like 25 different um, senses or nuances of this word firstborn or first in the Greek. And so verse 16, we can get some sense of how Paul uses this word to describe Jesus. He says, for by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So you look at this verse, they, they say by him, through him, and for him. And what is it that is created in this way? Uh, he mentions earthly powers. He talks about powers, uh, rulers, uh, uh, thrones, and powers. Now this, this, this phrase here can refer both to, I mean, it's not just the heaven, uh, like the earthly rulers. So we say, well, all the um, kingdoms of the world, all the world powers right now, even uh, you know, warlord nations or dictators of areas or things like that, um, are, are under his authority. 
not just that, but he says, the invisible forces of heaven, the thrones, the powers, rules, and authority, both large and small, um, global and local, benevolent and malevolent, uh, powers of light, as well as powers of darkness. Christ has authority and he has power over all of them. Um, that's, that's whatever shape power takes, Jesus has power over them. They, like all things, will bow down before him. All powers, they cannot resist him. They do not assist him. And they cannot dismiss him. Because Jesus is firstborn. He's the final authority over all creation, earthly and heavenly. It's like parents saying to their kids, I brought you into this earth, I can take you out of this earth. <laughs> now again, we don't say that. But if parents said that, what does that mean? That just basically means, like, I made you, I own you, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of what you say. You say, I made you, I own you. Um, I'm the firstborn. Everything you have comes from me. That's what Jesus says. And so Paul's saying everything that is owes its existence to Jesus. Even those with all the earthly power, strength, and, and whatever they've accomplished in this life, they owe their very existence to Jesus, and they cannot exist... It, resist his will. Verse 17 goes on to say, for he is above, he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. Before all things means, again, most important, greater than all things. And, and then the second thing he says is held together, meaning that, that sustained, meaning that like it's up to Jesus whether or not a person remains in power the next day. He could have been ruling for, he could have established his dynasty, you know, through all these things and had family, you know, dynasty for all these things, but it's up to Jesus whether he's going to be in that position the next day. That's what it means. It's up to Jesus whether or not you or I have a job tomorrow. We just assume it, but it's up to Jesus. It's in his hands. It's up to Jesus whether you wake up tomorrow. Whether we wake up tomorrow, that's up to Jesus because he sustains us. It's up to Jesus. Jesus' supremacy is, is saying that he's the one that makes sure that our lungs move in and out to breathe each breath. That's the extent of, of Jesus' supremacy over our lives, over this world. That the universe is not self-sufficient. We as individuals, no matter how much we think we're in control of our health, our position, our status, our future, we're not in charge. Jesus is first. Jesus is supreme because he's the firstborn over all creation. That's the first thing. Uh, verse 18, Paul now goes on to, to take from a universal scope to go to a, a more localized scope, the level of the church, our church, every church that exists uh, in this world. And it says, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So this idea of supremacy is actually used like four times here. First of all, it says Jesus is the head of the church. So like if you think about a body without a head, that's actually really morbid. I don't have a slide of that. But <laughs> a body without a head, what is it? It's a corpse, right? Doesn't matter how strong that body is, how good looking the body is without a head, it's, it's nothing. Um, Jesus is the firstborn. He's the source of the church's life. He's the very essence 
of what makes a church a church. Without him, we're nothing. We're not a church. It don't matter. You have building, you have all these people, we have all these skills, we have all these ministries. Uh, we don't honor Jesus. It's corpse. I mean, that, that's what, that's really what Paul is saying here. Without Jesus, we cease to be a church. We're spiritually dead without Jesus. Without Jesus, the life of our church, the drive, he's the driving force of our church. He must be the greatest honor. He must receive the greatest honor in our church. He must be the message of our church, the mission of our church in all of our preaching, in all of our service, in all of our ministries, inside and outside these walls. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He is the head of the church. One person wrote this, he said, the church does not exist to meet the needs of its members, nor to ensure its institutional survival, but rather to fulfill the redemptive purposes of Christ, its head. That's the church. That's the supremacy of Christ. Verse 18 goes on to say, he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now, you see the word here, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now, the, the idea, again, of firstborn here is not the idea of chronology, like he was the first one uh, to rise from the dead. Rather, it's emphasizing this idea of uniqueness, the uniqueness of Jesus. He is the only person who has given up his life as a sacrifice for the sins of all. He's the only person who has risen from the dead to show his victory over death. That's the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, that in this world we have many great people throughout history, worthy of respect, worthy of honor. People have changed the world as we know it. We people have made great sacrifices for the sake of others. But of all the great people in history, there is none like Jesus. Jesus is unique. He is the firstborn from the dead. He has done what no other person has ever done can ever do or will ever do. Jesus is unique. That's what, the, that's what this, this verse is saying. And then in verse 18 it says that in everything he might be preeminent. And again, these are all words that come from the similar um, uh, root word. And this is kind of the closest thing to a command that we have in this passage. He's saying um, that because of all these things, because all these things are true, Jesus must be preeminent. Not, oh, Jesus in my mind must be preeminent. No, we must treat Jesus as preeminent, as supreme, as first. Because Jesus is the perfect image of God, because Jesus is fully and completely God, uh, because he is firstborn over all creation, because he is the head of the church, the very essence of who we are, because he is the firstborn from the dead, that he has done something that no other person has ever done and will ever do. Because of all of these things, Paul is saying, in your life, in my life, in the life of this church, Jesus must have the supremacy. He must hold the position of preeminence over all things. That's what, that's what Paul is, is, is trying to say. So we look at this and we say, um, you know, what does this mean? Because we don't often use the word supremacy. We don't say the supremacy of, you know, so-and-so or, you know, things like that. Um, we need to ask, you know, how do we do this? What, what, is, what is being firstborn? What does it really mean? So if Jesus is to be preeminent, I mean, in my life, what does that mean? 
It means, first of all, priority. For example, uh, for someone to be first, it's kind of silly, but for someone to be first, that means everyone else is second, third, fourth, right? I mean, basically, that's what it means. If someone's first, then everything else is not first. You know, it's first, second, third, fourth, fifth, you know, all the way down to a thousand. So, uh, or a billion or whatever, but there's always first. And so we say, so if Jesus is first, then everything else is not first, okay? I mean, that's kind of sense. So we ask the question, is there anything in my life other than Jesus that's first? And I mean, even sharing the podium with Jesus, like, oh, Jesus is on the podium, but there's also, you know, representing this, the world and blah, 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 two, two firsts. Um, that's not possible, or it's not supposed to be. You're watching the Olympics, right? You're watching the Olympics, and you have the Winter Olympics, and you kind of watch, and they, they, they go up, and the guy's like, oh, they're number one, you know, technically, boom, 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 boom. Okay, they're, they're number one, and there's still all these people to go. And, and you look at that and go, oh, you know, uh, Canada is number one, and U.S. is third, and Russia, blah, 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 blah. And you look at that chart, and it goes down maybe about 10, but you know there's probably like 100 down there. And you know that all these people down here they're all gunning for number one, right? I mean, they're all gunning for number one. Once they hit the ice, they all want to be, they want to unseat number one. That's their goal. Because once that number one goes up, they're like, okay, that's the goal. I gotta, I gotta do better than that. I'm gonna unseat them. And see, that's kind of like what the world is like. That's kind of like all the things in our life. Everything in our life, they're looking at Jesus and saying, I'm gonna be number one. I'm gonna unseat Jesus as number one. They're all fighting for it. That's their goal. That's what they want. And we think about our lives and we say, you know, my job, my job says I want to be number one. I want to unseat Jesus. I want to be so good and so uh, demanding and, and so much reward that, that I become number one. Rank number one, Jesus number two. Or, or my future, you know, we say, oh, the future's bright, uh, that's number one. Or my happiness, oh, you know, I want to be happy, I'm not enjoying my life. Happiness, that's going to be number one. Uh, Jesus, number two. My ambitions, my aspirations, I'm an ambitious person. I got aspirations, I got my future ahead of me. People have been telling me that, man, if I really exert myself and do these things, man, the future is ahead, you could do so many things. There's so many great things ahead for you. And we're like, but those things, they're, they're trying to be number one. They're vying for Jesus' spot. And if any of these things become number one, then Jesus is no longer supreme. I mean, not he is supreme, but he's not supreme in our life or in the way we treat him. It can't be Jesus first and me first at the same time. Oh, I want to share the podium with Jesus because, you know, Jesus for me, he wants me to be happy, he wants me to have a future, he wants me to have all these things, so uh, I'll just sit with Jesus on, on, on number one. No, Jesus is on the throne. You could be number two, number three, or you know, all the way down, but Jesus is number one. That's the first thing, priority. It's interesting, because we were in a, a prayer, uh, the prayer, um, houses of prayer, and uh, we were, and Marcus was leading, and he was leading from Psalm 27. And we all know Psalm 27 says, One thing I ask, one thing I desire. And what is it? Dwell in the house of the Lord all my days. Gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And he was saying, let's, let's concentrate on that. Let's pray about that. And 
and as I was praying, and I was thinking about that verse and, and looking at that, and I'm like, man, I wish that could be me. To say that, that, that the only thing that I desire is to dwell in the house of the Lord. The only thing that, 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 that I really want to do in my life is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And that's what David was writing. And when I was reading that and praying, I was like just so convicted and saying, God, there's so many things that I just gaze at the beauty of this or that or want this or want that. Because see, the psalmist doesn't say, one of the things that I ask and seek, he says, the one thing that I ask, the only thing that I seek, is to dwell with my God and to see his beauty. And I'm like, man, that's got to be my prayer. Because that's not me yet. And so that's the idea of priority. Firstborn is also about uniqueness. This idea that Jesus alone, do I really, is Jesus really the one that I trust in alone for everything? Now again, when we say trust, it's really hard. Oh, I trust in God because man, when I'm in trouble, I have nowhere else to go, so I trust in God alone. But no, what about our entire lives? What about everything, not just when we're in trouble? What about, you know, when we trust in things, like uh, where does our happiness come from? That's trust. If I'm thinking about, you know, I'm, I'll be really happy when I get married someday, when God finds a perfect man, a perfect woman for me, then our trust is being put in that because we're saying I'm gonna be happy when these things happen or when I get this job, or when this thing happens. Uh, if, if I put my, my hope in something, I put my peace in something, I'll feel confident, I'll feel rested, I'll feel secure if I have, you know, finally figure out, you know, what I'm gonna do with my life, or if I finally get, the job finally becomes non-contract and, 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 and I can sign a contract, I'll feel at peace, I'll feel uh, secure. That's trust. That's, that's the essence of trust. It's, it's like, what are you banking on to get from here to wherever you want to go? That's trust. For example, you get on a plane. You're banking on the fact that that plane will get you from here to wherever you're going to go. You're trusting it. So in the same thing, we say, okay, what am I banking on right now to get me from where I am now to where I want to go? To where I see myself in 10 years? To where I see myself when I retire? To where I see myself as happy, fulfilled, and, and everything going well? Do I trust in uh, my 401k that that's what's going to get me there? That's trust. Do I trust in uh, my friends that as long as I have good friends and they always stick by me that that's going to get me there? That's trust. Uh, do I trust in my ability to research the wealth of worldly knowledge and wisdom on the website? You know, and, and say, you know, I, I can figure out anything because it's all there on YouTube. I can figure it out. That's trust. I'm not saying you don't trust, you know, don't trust YouTube, although sometimes you might not want to trust YouTube. But I mean, you know, but do you really trust that that's going to get you, sorry, where you want to be? That's, that, that's what you're banking on. Do I trust in my own common sense, myself? I can get there. I got this far. You know, I've gone through a lot of struggles. I've solved a lot of problems. I'm smarter than most people. And uh, I've seen a lot of people do foolish things, but man, I, I know better. And so I trust in myself to get from here to where I think I need to be. See, that, that, that's this whole thing about trust. Do we trust in the uniqueness of Jesus Christ? Is he the only one that we realize that we can trust to get us to where we need to be, to be happy, 
to be whole, to be full, to be secure, to, be, to have peace. That's, that's trust. Firstborn is about honor. It's about um, do I honor Jesus alone? And I really feel that this has to do with obedience. Uh, do I obey his word? Do I submit to his authority? Or do I just think about what God wants and then think about what I want and then make sure that they are kind of the same or that you know, we can find a compromise between what I want and what God wants? Do we think about what God wants and say, well, God, that's a nice idea, but you know, right now, yeah, it's, not, it's not gonna work. Uh, later on. It's not applicable to my situation right now. It's too practical, too hard. It's, it's, it's too complicated. And besides, it's not a big deal anyways. Or do we honor Jesus alone, his word? When his, sa- his word says we are doing something wrong and we have to stop, will we stop? When his word says that we are going in a direction that is not healthy and not right, and we know it, will we turn around and change directions? When God says there are certain things that are missing in our lives and things that we need to add or things that we need to do and we have to let go of things in order to do them, Will we let go? The, the, these are the questions that come with honor. Will I honor Jesus as supreme? Firstborn is also about giving our best. Do I give my best, my very best to Jesus? Or do I give him second, a third, or whatever's left? Uh, do I give him my leftover time? after I've done all the important things in my life, uh, the urgent things in my life, the things that have to be done, I get those done first and then I can honor Jesus and give him whatever I have left. Do I give him my leftover energy and interest after I'm finished pursuing all the things that I want to do and that I enjoy and that I love and that I need to get done and then when I have all that, oh yeah, there's Jesus too. Maybe if I have some time, I'll do that for him. Do we think of church as just going, you know, getting our thing done on Sunday? Oh, you know, Sunday, I gotta get there and do my thing. Or do we think of the worship of Jesus as this powerful time when we come together before the very presence of God and Jesus, the most important time, the most important act that I will do all this week? come and worship Jesus. See, this is, this is the reality of supremacy. This is what makes, um, what makes supremacy, what makes theology real, what makes it say, you know, the supremacy of Christ, which is a high theological idea, and it, it sounds really good from a theological perspective, from, from a practical perspective, we gotta ask these questions. You know, how can I make Jesus first? What does that mean? What are those things that are really, truly competing fighting to get first place in my life. There's, there's hundreds of them. We gotta identify what's number two that's getting so close, you know. Um, how can I trust Jesus alone? What are those things right now that I am really banking on, that I'm holding in my heart, that I think it's gonna give me something that I realize, I'm gonna realize later on it's not. It's not gonna give me what I want. It's not going to be the thing that proves to be the most important. It's not gonna be the thing that gives me the most happiness. What are those things right now that I'm holding on to? How can I honor him in obedience? 
what are the things right now in my life, quite honestly, that are disobedient? That there's no question, because God's word is very specific. We can't say, I don't know what God wants. I don't know what God says is right or wrong. No, his word's very specific. Whenever we read it, there's always something there where God speaks clearly of what it means to obey him. And then finally, am I giving Jesus my best? In what ways can I rearrange my life so that really Jesus gets the best? That when I'm in service, I'm not rushed and, and hurried and busy and tired, but I'm there because this is like, I'm gonna give Jesus my best for worship. I'm gonna be on point to worship him and love him and honor him. And when I serve, when I, when I, when I, when I pray for myself, when I do the things, when I, you know, how can I make sure that I'm giving God like my very, very best? These are the questions we wanna ask. And so I really wanna spend some time, I wanna give us some time because these are very important questions and they're soul-searching questions and I want us to have that time together to really pray and ask God to speak, us, to speak to us right now. Maybe it's just one of them. Maybe it's just one of them right now where God is really saying to you, you know what, that's really been bothering me right now. If it's bothering you, that means maybe God, maybe God's speaking right now. So let's go ahead and let's, let's bow for prayer. Let's pick some time. And let's ask these questions again. How can I make Jesus first? How can I trust in Jesus alone? How can I honor him in obedience? How can I give Jesus my best? If we don't take the time, we won't find the answer. So we take the time right now. We come before God and we ask. And we really want to know the answer. We really want to know the answer, God. Tell me today. It doesn't matter what other people are telling us we should do, what other people are saying we should do. That doesn't matter. It's what God, what God is saying to you right now. to pray with pray with someone pray with someone next to you or pray with a friend you can get up walk around a little bit find somebody you want to pray with just pray bring these things before the Lord it's okay we have time just go ahead and get out of your seats it's no problem or just grab the person next to you and let's just let's pray